I'm Coach Tarek. And I'm Vanessa. And I'm Paul. We are your movement experts and we are here to educate health and fitness professionals with the tools to create real change for and within the industry. Hey Jack, how you doing man? I'm good as always Paul, what about yourself mate? I am very good, but what I'm more interested in is the way of injury prevention with Auric Larson, because I've met Auric, I've talked to him a fair bit, I've watched his movie seminars being filmed and I liked his vibe. I'm really interested to hear about the podcast you're having him where you were talking about the way of injury prevention and some of the takeaways you've had from that. Sure, mate. Yeah, Ulrich and I go way back and, and, and removing any of those kind of notions of, of, of our history. He's always very laid back, very relaxed approach, philosophical you know, in, in nature, yet he does provide some, some structures in and around how he understands uh, injury prevention and, and, and how that's delivered by rehab trainer, his company, through the Movement Restoration Coach, which we partnered with, with him on. He's very open-minded, which I like about him, very collaborative. He's been around, mate, for almost 20 years, delivering this stuff in, in four different continents and continues to do so. So his stuff really, really counts. It's relevant. It's, it, it's evolved too, which we talked about. The really critical thing here, it's not stuff from 20 years ago. It's, it's, it's evolved. Concepts that coaches can go, well, yes, I understand this. Let me just uh, see if I can shift a few things and potentially learn a, a, a few more ideas in, in this space of injury prevention. Cool. So it sounds like, yeah, he's... Uh taking the folks away from rehab so much and moving trainers more towards injury prevention. So that sounds, again, like something that a lot of trainers, because you know, we know 90% of people get back pain at some point in their lives, everyone gets injured. That's something that uh, trainers should definitely be watching out for. Yeah, 100%. Totally, totally aligned with you and him on that. So uh, one to look out for, and I, I really hope that the listeners enjoy the wisdom that uh, Ulrich provides. Hello and welcome to the Purpose Driven Movement Podcast. For this episode, for the way of injury prevention, I've got a special guest and one of my very good friends, Ulrich Larson here. Ulrich, welcome to the PDM Podcast. Hey, thanks, Tarek. It's an honor to be here, mate. And uh, what a great venture, you know, to start up a new little component for FTI. It's, it's very exciting, mate. Thanks for inviting me. No, my pleasure, mate. We're, you know, we've, we've jammed on, on this type of topic many a times and, and I always enjoy it and, and we, we seem to have good synergy. And I'm sure that the listeners will also be able to resonate with the, the message to come. And, and we're looking forward to diving into some, some of Ulrich's philosophies, some of his concepts, which are definitely useful for, for the fitness professionals, as well as, of course, the, uh, the wider allied health community. And we're always, you know, trying to, I wouldn't say try, where there, there's a bridging of, of the gap, isn't there, Ulrich, between fitness per se and allied health and also this fusion where wellness comes into it. So that's going to be an interesting take and I'm sure we'll uh, be able to, to interweave those elements into this, the discussion. So the idea of the way of injury prevention as a way of getting into this podcast, tell us a little bit more about the idea of, of injury prevention and perhaps why it is is, is the way, in my opinion, as well as a uh, Yours. I mean, we've been playing in this space in between fitness and allied health for, as you know, 18, 17, 18 years, right? And doing it in many different countries and exposed to many different theories, philosophies, research, practical kind of ways of attempting to keep clients out of injury or prevent injury. So it's, it's a constantly evolving space. We've had to try and stay on top of current thinking, which is actually quite controversial. There's a lot of controversial thought around injury prevention these days. 
that is making us as physiotherapists. Uh, so we're a whole group of sports physios from Australia, as you know. And even as physiotherapists, we're having to rethink constantly how to best help clients who are injured. But prevention is better than the cure. It honestly is, right? If you can minimize the risks of your clients getting grumpy shoulders, grumpy knees, you know, irritability in their lower back, if you can minimize that risk, prevent that, it's so much better than having to then look for a cure, you know, maybe with some referral to a physio or whatever is involved. Prevention is so much better than the cure in the world of chronic, you know, overuse type aches and pains in the gym. So we're all for personal trainers, fitness professionals diving in and trying to engage with the quality of movement of their clients. I think that is still, for me, a key element. Anyway, we can come into some of the philosophy whenever you want, but I still feel stronger and stronger that we have a really important value for the fitness industry in terms of helping personal trainers to improve the real-time quality of their clients' movement. So they're not just loading, they're not just getting fitness, not just getting more flexible, but they're actually moving in a more efficient and you might say optimized kind of way. Yeah, and therefore I'm hearing a, a quality of lifestyle outcome, yeah? It results in feeling better day to day or if we need to lift some heavy stuff or if we need to suddenly run after our kids, run after the dog, then we're not sore for the next two days. You know, so there's all that functionality about fitness as well, you know, for sure. Can we go back to the, the point you made earlier in and around the, the evolving thinking? And is that more divisive or do you see sort of more of a collaborative kind of effort to, let's call it the, the realm of, of physios and fitness professionals at a higher level coming together to kind of synergize or, or do you still think it's fragmented from your perspective? Yeah, that is a good question. I think on the ground in little regions and local gyms and little towns and cities and so forth around the world, I do think physios and personal trainers are working together better than they ever have, partly because I think strength, muscular strength, physical strength, functional strength is also deemed to be more important than ever by physiotherapists, right? Sports physios or normal physios more highly regard the idea of strength as a way of preventing injury than ever before. And so many physios will call upon fitness trainers, fitness professionals to create little strength programs to build that resilience and to help get those little niggling issues under control. So I do think that probably as a in those local areas working better together. So that might be my first response. The second one is to say that philosophically, I think physios believe in the importance of strength and momentum and even the psychology of injury management more than ever. And a good personal trainer, a good personal fitness professional is going to be brilliant for achieving those goals. So there are many clients out there who will simply find their aches and pains are gradually reducing if the physio has referred them simply by being in a consistent gym program that's got some quality of movement you know, uh, outcomes attached to it. So Philosophically and locally, I think there is a there is a better fit these days, better than ten years ago for sure. Yeah, and and, and an extension on that point, Ulrich, is you've got the the special kind of needs, if you like, the the you know working with with cerebral palsy or stroke victims. So you've got a almost a branching of different manners of how physio is executed. So you know someone may have surgery, the surgeon then gets them involved with a physio. Is there anything that you wanted to add on to that? Because there's another step, isn't there? The, the sports physio or that functional physio, call them. How, do, how are they speaking together in terms of their interconnected knowledge? Because they, there are, out of necessity, uh, different pathways of physiotherapy. Yeah, right. Absolutely. 
I probably would lump problems that clients have. I'd lump them into the more severe and complex and high risk, and then the low risk, niggling, very common. So those more severe and complex, high risk ones, they are generally managed by a physio, sometimes with an exercise physiologist, and certainly a personal trainer, fitness professional. So there'll be a team around those people, whether they have a neurological injury, whether they're post-surgical, or whether they have some sort of high risk injury. Uh, Let's say they've got sciatica or pins and needles, or they've got some real limitation of movement uh, because of pain. All those things are going to be managed and part of a physio's program working with some fitness professional. So that's the more severe end of things. The more low risk, niggling, super common, tight neck, slightly niggly shoulder on the shoulder press, you know, slightly grumpy knee when I'm doing deep squats, blah, blah, all those really common everywhere symptoms. They are much more easily managed by just staying the course consistently with a strength program. Now, add to that some sort of screening program that you could be upskilled in. Obviously, our injury prevention kit or the movement restoration coach. Uh, or any of our rehab trainer courses, they will upskill you in the next level of of assessment, observation, and then prescription of how to really, shall we say, clean movement patterns to unblock called muscle imbalance. That's the focus of most of our teaching is for the low-risk, chronic niggling things that that really is about a personal trainer who's become a rehab trainer, shall we say, or a movement restoration coach can deal with really effectively just thinking more deeply about quality of movement, perhaps how some movements get stuck and then there is overload of structures and then so that keeps niggling injuries quite chronic. Client can't really improve. They're they're always grumpy in their lower back, even though they can move reasonably well. uh, They're just struggling to improve unless you can take your assessment of movement quality and your correction of that to the next level. So you've got your high risk and you've got your low risk. So most of what we deal with really would be the very common low risk niggling problems and helping personal trainers to upskill for that area and prevent injury for them. Following that track of, of low risk and, and what rehab trainer deal with in, in a sense of educating the, the, the fitness professional, from that perspective, what are you sort of observing or have been observing in terms of the ideologies and the philosophies that are that are out there? You know, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or or whether someone says a trainer says, "Yeah, I kind of know it all." Can you talk about that and 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 how we can bridge this this synergy in this sort of low uh, risk? It just seems that every it seems that uh, at least from from my small perspective that, that that there's a lot of you know noise out there. How does one move beyond that noise? That that's my first question. And there will be a follow-on to that around how that trainer, if you will, stays within a scope of practice or respects the boundaries between a, a physio, in this case, a sports physio, and, and, and a, what a fitness professional can do. We've got a few very clear parameters for what is healthy kind of playing space for a personal trainer who's working with injury management, injury prevention, corrective exercise. So we've got a pretty clear and defined sort of set of skills. So, you know, for example, tipping your toe into diagnosis of injuries is something we will say is not really useful and therefore, in fact, detrimental to the trust and the effectiveness of a personal trainer. So stay out of trying to diagnose injuries. Uh, we've got a whole list of little sort of parameters that would that would name a problem as high risk. And if it's high risk, then try and stay away from high risk type problems. I mean, obviously, if you've been referred a high-risk client by your physio, that's a different story. But just general run-of-the-mill clients, stay away from diagnosis. Make sure they're what we call low-risk niggling problems that are not getting worse. 
and you know learn learn also to work with some physios or massage therapists or osteos and so forth. That's another great way to kind of learn what your limits are and what your scope of practice is. So that's kind of probably enough on that idea of your your boundaries as a fitness professional. Even if you're going to engage in corrective exercise, try and know your limits and get very good at dealing with the most common stuff like a stiff neck, like you know a grumpy lower back, like a niggling knee problem or a little bit of impingement, you know, irritation in the shoulder. Get good at those things because they are by and by and large, you know, by far the most common thing you'll deal with. That's where your word of mouth, that's where your kind of enthusiasm will continue to grow for personal training as you see results, as you start correcting those little things. So kind of scope of practice, that's sort of unchanged for us. Um, it's remained like that for a long time uh, as the limits for rehab training for a fitness professional. So then this other question of the current philosophies and methodologies that are out there, there is a lot of talk of devaluing the idea of that good technique has a place in the world of training. So there's a number of very loud, intelligent voices out there that are really poo-pooing the, the need for watching your technique, watching your posture, watching how you move, and essentially saying, as long as you're in a progressive strengthening program, then you are creating as much resilience as your body needs and you will gradually pull yourself out of pain. In other words, as long as your strength program is very progressive, then you should almost be able to fix any problem. That's kind of how I read quickly the big, and these are physiotherapists saying this as well, so it's quite interesting, but physios with a real strength and conditioning background. So my response to this would be simply to say that when we have a client with a problem, now you may well apply that methodology to clients who have not too much issues, like they're really not that much in pain, they don't really suffer from lower back pain or knee pain or whatever, they're generally doing quite well. In that scenario, I think you just want to build resilience in lots of different movements, right? So let's say something like a squat. You could actually say there's a number of different ways to do a squat. Well, do them all. To some degree, I think that's fantastic as a real injury prevention strategy. One of them, which is try and do squats in five different ways. You know, basically carefully loading with some lumbar flexion, carefully loading with a perfect lordosis control, carefully loading deeper, carefully loading with heavier load, with rapid movement, like so many different ways, even side flexion loading so many different subtle differences in how you might load. And as long as you can progress it very carefully, that client will build great resilience for their life and for the future of their lower back. However, what if we have a client with a niggling lower back problem? They've been suffering for a few months, it's sore after they sit for a while, sometimes they can't bend very easily. Like it's a real, it's a going concern of a lower back pain. Now that may mean that they can still touch their toes and do general movements and not hurt immediately, but it's easy to flare up their back a little bit. Now, in those situations, our argument is that the brain has not learned effectively how to distribute load through different movement patterns. So let's say this idea of the squat then. That client may have, let's say, for example, they've been sitting a lot in their life, so they've got a desk job. That means when they generally do squat, they're going to they're squat with a lot of lumbar flexion, unless they're an unusual client. There are exceptions, but most of them will squat with too much lumbar flexion, rounding of the lower back. So that's all and good, well and good, except that 
you, if you then assess them for what we might call a perfect hip hinge, something like a deadlift or a kettlebell swing, and you really are cueing them to try and keep that lumbar spine in some sort of nice middle ground, it's a little bit of, you know, lordosis kind of being maintained instead of always lumbar flexing, you probably will find most likely that they can't do it. Or somewhere on a spectrum of absolutely no idea, right through to, yeah, great, but really quite, they're missing it often. They're not really aware of it at different times. So there is what we might call a lack of proprioception in that lower back area. So to that end, I still see the value in assessing all the different types of ways of doing squat with lumbar flexion, with a good hip hinge or good lordosis control, and seeing which one is missing. Most probably, if they've got some sort of chronic lower back pain problem, they are missing a link, missing one of those movements. Common one would be simply the ability to you know, keep that lovely lordosis, like do a really nice deadlift to the bottom and come out with no lumbar movement. That's probably what they're missing in their brain. They have lost touch with one aspect of the movement spectrum. That's why they keep aggravating their lumbar spine, just through sensitized tissues getting overloaded, getting overloaded. It's like their brain has lost the ability to auto-correct so that it, the brain can't decide which type of movement it needs to do because it's stuck in one way of doing it. And that's probably most commonly with too much lumbar flexion. And in that situation, they've often lost lumbar extension. So if you get them to stand and arch backwards, they're either super stiff or they're downright in pain. So they've lost a movement component there, and that's what you've got to try and assess. And then if you've got some skills to help your client with that, oh, you're going to be, you're going to be really well-received. You're going to have royalty from your clients because they're going to feel better. As soon as you start doing more extension work, as soon as you start teaching them that hip hinge, they'll start to feel more and more comfortable then with all of their other movements of the lumbar spine. So find the missing link of movement and then begin to correct that. And you've got like a really clear pathway for helping your client get out of that low-risk problem. Very well answered um, or responded to. And the idea of that kinetic link, you know, kind of working efficiently uh, is partly to do with what the rehab trainer, um, you know, pr prophesies in the, or teach in, in the programs, which is retraining. So the idea of assessing, correcting, and the retraining methodologies are more at that micro level. So did you want to talk a little bit about that particular methodology of uh, in, the case, in the instance that you describe that person who, who can't quite hinge because they're sitting too much? And there's, secondly, there's this mapping, which is the, the talk element, yeah, that, that rehab trainer in sh you know, really drums into the, the, the trainer to actually start having this conversation that's very specific. It might start broad, but it gets really specific, but it becomes conversational, right? It, it's, it's not diagnostic. So can you speak to those? Yeah, the, that's like an interview. You want to get better at the skill of interviewing a client, right? So, so that it's got a bit of a direction early on, so you can come to some clear idea of what is the aggravator of their lumbar spine pain. If it's a lower back pain, what is it that's really aggravating it? Uh, that bit of information will tell you about their lifestyle, will tell you about their own kind of, I suppose, ability to, to self-regulate their movement and alter movements. Some clients, many clients have no idea what's going on and will just be stuck in their way of doing life and just suffering and, you know, sore lower back and just complaining about it rather than realizing they may have to reduce the amount of sitting they do. They may have to stand up every half hour and do like five backwards extensions or 
whatever the you know the lifestyle change may be. So as you're starting that broad conversation, as you said, it gets more and more detailed. And then the assessment gets a bit detailed as well to see if you can kind of name a potential muscle imbalance. Uh, now, a muscle imbalance, what we would say these days, it's a way in which the brain gets stuck into overusing certain more overactivated dominant, dominant muscles. A great example might be your surface abdominals, like the outer core of your abdominal wall. That's often something that gets really quite overactive, especially in the context of pain. And so that overactivity in the brain results necessarily in an less activity and underactivity of those lumbar controlling uh, erector muscles. And so as they go into some kind of load, most likely that load will trigger that overactivity of that outer abdominal wall. And so we would say in that scenario then that they've got a, a dominance of that, let's say rectus abdominis, maybe external obliques, maybe psoas muscles. And those ones become overly active during load and exercise. Whereas those deeper lower back muscles, either multifidus, we call them, there's a lot of research about multifidus in the physio world and lower back pain. Maybe even the erector spiny and QL, they can all be a bit underactive holding that lordosis. So you've got there a classic idea of a muscle imbalance. And for those clients, I don't think it's safe, if they've got lower back pain, I don't think it's safe to do Jefferson curls, to do lots of rounding loaded movements. You've really got to get them out of difficulty happy with extension, good with doing a, uh, you know, a good hip hinge, get them to be good at that stuff. Then later on, you might start loading some lumbar flexion and doing St. Jefferson curls. Before then, I reckon it's risky. I just think it's crazy. Now, a physiotherapist may be able to manage their own lower back pain with doing Jefferson curls and, and confidently if they get a good idea of what's going on. But that's playing with fire, in my opinion. You're going to try and get your clients who sit a lot and have pain on lumbar flexion to do Jefferson curls, you got that's <laughs> that's a physio yeah, that's frightening. That's a, a broad conversation going into more detailed and that helps you about what's getting what's aggravating the lower back that gives you lots of clues. Then also that broader idea of functional movements, what's what's working, what's not working, but then coming down into muscle imbalance. Do they have a muscle imbalance or two? You know, there may be a couple of muscle imbalances functioning together that really hold that client in a fixed way of moving where the brain can't auto-correct and distribute load. So the same tissues keep getting loaded, slowly get hypersensitized, and that, my friends, is chronic lower back pain right there. It's not damage. It's hypersensitized, fascia, trigger points, and then all that brain expectation that it's going to hurt when I do that squat. Oh, here comes the pain, and... Bingo, of course it's going to hurt. If your brain has been taught by habit and practice that it hurts to squat, it's going to be increasing the odds of pain when you squat. So you've got to find a different way to do it and then slowly come around to the starting point and look at the original movement getting that stronger. But look at all of the stuff that's missing in their movement spectrum. That's for me, is critical. Check out FTI's latest offer, which is 15% off of any of our online courses. Simply go to www.functionaltraininginstitute.com and input PDM15 at cart checkout. So I'm hearing summary in a sense is these, these neural switches that um, are quite firing 
efficiently. Um, there's some rewiring that's required. Yeah, retraining. In, 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 and retraining in order to get this auto-correction going. And that's partly to do with the, the, the self-correction. I'm thinking here the scale of hierarchy. So you've got the you know uh, conscious competent uh, eventually up to unconscious competence. And, and, and I think that's the way that I often teach Ulrich um, in terms of the coaching methodologies, because on one hand, I can see this, this argument that clients can self-regulate to a, to a degree, yes. But in those instances that you, you alluded to where, where there are these, call them bad habits, a, a building up, if you like, of just malpractice, it, it's, it, it's hard to get to that autocorrection where it's safe, efficient, and effective. So I can see that you know amongst in and amongst this, it's really important to have the coaching aspect, that interviewing, uh, conversational interviewing, I would say, and then that micro coaching or that micro dosing alongside the micro coaching. And to that end, I wanted to 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 bring this point on correctives. There also seems to be this stigma on on correctives, and I know that this very well in the rehab protocol, it's blending back into training. So can you talk a little bit about that delineation of like, hey, you know, we give Jim and Jill like a corrective program, but we're giving, you know, Jack and, and James a, you know, a strength and conditioning program. Can you talk about how that can be sort of more blended in rather than differentiated? Because I can understand that there on one hand, there may be this stigma, like oh, correctives, 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 as opposed to that philosophy of, just get them moving, right? They're, 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 they're going to get over that niggly problem. I think some of it depends on how deconditioned your client is. If you've got a client who really is genuinely needing a lot more conditioning, they're particularly overweight or, or really suffering from ex, you know, exertional kind of limits really early that pull them into sort of these very protective patterns, then you really want to build some baseline of strength just regardless of your client's kind of injury status. So that's where just pure building on fitness, building on strength has great value without too much focus on correctives. Once you've kind of, or if you've got a client who is reasonably fit and is, is uh, consistent with their exercise and so forth, then I think you want to input small warm-ups or even throughout their workout, attempt to input little things that are what we might call corrective. So they still have the general focus on the enjoyment of exercise and the, the great cardio hit or strength you know, work that they're doing. But they might do a little bit of a myofascial release of something that, let's say if it's a pec minor that's tight and that perhaps is holding them in a slightly rounded forward anteriorly tilted position of the scapula on one side, and that's the side where they've got a bit of impingement, well, it would absolutely make sense that you might teach them or as a technique on your client, do a three-minute pec minor myofascial release check that it feels a little better, then begin to set some shoulder press work, even if it's very small range and very careful to try and get that serratus, try and get those scapular muscles working better. So, because you'll have a window there, the pec minor will be sort of softened and it'll be dampened in its overactivity. And then actually other scapular muscles can activate a bit better. And that will certainly affect the position of that acromion, right? And so you'll have a little less kind of irritation perhaps in that glenohumeral joint. So a little sort of myofascial release thing for three minutes plus a, a few little sort of uh, exercises, very carefully staged to work on their goal movement. If that's shoulder press, for example, well, you want to be getting them to target that in and between, for example, other things, even when they're resting, let's say from doing, let's say a stepper session or doing some squats while they're having a break from their squats, 
get down there, get them to do some pec minor release, do some little, you know, upside down kettlebell holds or something like that, just to really challenge that shoulder in a new way. So you kind of mix and match it throughout their session. And the second thing is you've got to give them some homework. Yeah, once you've kind of determined that, let's say it is that pec minor that's affecting the scapula because it's so short and, and hyperactive, obviously, because they've been at the computer all day. So that's, that is a technique thing that's going to be affected. They've lost scapular retraction in their brain. They've lost scapular upward rotation in their brain. Those switches aren't easy to access. So you've got to actually do something physical and kinesthetic to try and alter that. Even though it's temporary, it's not a fix per se, that myofascial release, or at least most of the time it's not. You will actually have your exemptions. Some clients, if you do a really good myofascial release of a certain area, that may really shift the dial on their little impingement problem or lower back problem. Partly depends on how good you are. I do think so. And also the client's ability to reframe and relearn and, and come across a new movement pattern subconsciously. You just don't know. So it's worth doing that kind of stuff. You know, little correctives uh, are valuable for clients who are motivated and who are interested and who love what you do. Now, if you're constantly fighting your client because they're just not motivated for those little correctives and the hate, the discomfort of a bit of myofascial release and so forth, well, then maybe you are best to say, listen, we won't do that with you because I can see you're resistant. Your brain's not liking that. Let's just try and very carefully negotiate new positions, work on some strength, maybe even avoid that for a while. It's customized, isn't it? You have to customize it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And some of the clues are what I'll do here is, you know, and it's it's that adjustment, right? It's 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 actually uh, uh, an awareness, and that's that's the key here as to educating the fitness professional to then educate their clients to become more aware because it's this minute by minute, if you like, um, the, the, the energy transferring to, to, to energy yep. in moment by moment yep. that will really have that impact. So, you know, you have a client who comes to you maybe two, three times a week to train, but, but most of the week they're sitting down or they're in, in this bad habits because they're switching off. So the idea that, I'm, that I think is crucial here is that it's not giving clients movements because they have to do it. Yeah. It's firstly getting them intrinsically motivated by saying, well, if, if we fix that scapular retraction, it's going to provide a greater outcome, i.e. less pain. You're going to be able to, to be able to pull objects. You're going to be able to lift things better. You're going to be able to, to, to do things pain-free. And I think selling that outcome, if you like, mm. provides an intrinsic motivator because soon enough, there will be this switch yeah. that all of a sudden they go, wow, I'm, I'm moving away from this pain. And, and I'm moving more into this pleasure state, let's call it in a simplistic fashion. You, you're right. It, it needs to be sparked by this, this sense of this program that's playing out needs to be like switched off and a new switch placed on. And so there needs to be reasoning there. And I think that's where the, the coach really crafts this language carefully as to selling these little correctives, which really matter. As we know, it's that the, the one percenter rules. Um, you know, I've had. For example, in, in my journey, lots of different injuries. I have, a, I have a practice in the morning. I stretch. I do specific stretches and breath work and meditation, and that helps me to calibrate. And so that's good for me. But for another person, it might be something different, right? But it's it's those it's the consistent habits. And as James Clear says in Atomic Habits, we don't uh, rise to the level of our goals; we fall to the level of our systems. I think too. Another thought about the value of this for clients. You talked about awareness. Is that it? Kind of. Most clients don't really think about how they're moving. 
they don't really listen to that movement and feel that. There's that kinesthetic kind of blockage or breakdown, disconnect. So I think they're missing out on almost, you might argue, like a, a meditative component of exercise where you're really able to feel your body and even enjoy the body's movement and be present to that, which I think is a great psychological benefit from exercise that I think it's missed by many people. They're just still in their heads, just kind of mindlessly moving, mindlessly loading, pushing. Uh, and in that, in that respect, they're missing out on some sort of yeah, real attachment to their immune system strength and their parasympathetic nervous system coming, sort of being activated through just quality of movement. So it's another little aside you talk about there with awareness of movement that will benefit them through their whole week, right? So every time they're feeling a bit tighter, a bit stiff, they know how to readjust and get movement in areas that are easily losing movement. Yeah, totally. Becoming more mindfully aware, if you like, and 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 therefore mindful movement is is, a, is an important facet. I think that's one thing that I definitely preach, and and it all it all happens firstly with us, and I think that's that's really crucial as as fitness professionals, coaches, educators, as you and I are. It's been fascinating, Warwick. We'll never get you back. Probably multiple times down the track. I, I hope that the listeners have have really taken away some some really good deep messages. I, and I might that- suggest a future topic which would be around sure. the meaning of pain for a client with a niggling problem, right? So damage versus just hypersensitive tissues. There's a whole discussion around pain that's come out of the research and the physiotherapy world that's really valuable for clients to learn about. That's so about educating them in the meaning of pain. What does pain mean? doesn't mean damage. 99% of the time, it doesn't mean damage. What does pain mean? That's our next That's our next uh, podcast conversation. Yeah. <laughs> what does pain mean? And uh, you're, you're full of wisdom and, and really practical knowledge. And, and I love that about, uh, about you. And that's why we've partnered and we do great things. So folks, uh, you can find Ulrich uh, as Rehab Trainer, um, you know, through social media, rehabtrainer.com.au. FTI are also partners with Rehab Trainer with our Movement Restoration Coach Program. We'll put links in the show notes about that program. And look, uh, there's there's plenty of of great people out there doing some good stuff. And and I think you know it's about how can we see the commonalities and 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 not just you know kind of focus in on on one track. And I think keeping a, an open mind is important. And also backing backing what what we do by helping coaches help their clients. Um, and I think you, you mentioned it right at the beginning. It's about evolving, isn't it? Not, not you know, staying current, evolving, and being cutting edge as a coach. What would be your final kind of suggestions or thoughts for, for the listeners out there, Ulrich? Yeah. So even as we evolve, don't lose your kind of core, the core of who you are, the core of what exercise means for you or you know, the fitness journey. So you know, evolving and taking on new ideas, just don't kind of throw everything into something new that's coming along. Really take it in, sit with it, play with it, see how it's going to fit. This stuff will continue to change. Obviously, it's here to stay, so to speak, but stick with the core. Be really good at strengthening clients and holding them to that journey. It's a real kind of hard, hard, you know, process, gaining strength. And so here's to you, you know, with your work with clients and getting people out of pain, but also just preventing them from getting injuries, you know? Hats off to you. All the best. Yeah, inquiry and uh, yeah, just a reflection. That's really crucial to, to how we learn. Ulrich, it's been a pleasure and uh, we'll see you on the show once again. Great, mate. Thank you, Tarek. Thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you for being a part of our podcast community. 
We work hard to create content that we hope you enjoy and find valuable. If you haven't already, we would be honored if you would consider subscribing and following us on your favorite platform. That way you'll never miss an episode and you'll always be the first to know when new episodes are released. We truly appreciate your support and we can't wait to continue to grow and connect with you through our podcast.